This is the American Variety Network on Block Talk Radio with Alex Cardinale. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts. Happy Halloween from all of us at American Variety Network. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Aquarium Talk here live on American Variety Network. You know, I've personally taken a liking to the saltwater aquarium hobby and I'm so excited to finally be in the saltwater hobby after 14 years of keeping tropical fish and I'm happy to say that my very own saltwater tank is up and running and I'm learning a lot through a great fish form called saltwaterfishform.com. And today I have a new host from saltwaterfishform.com who is going to be hosting a saltwater show on Aquarium Talk, the podcast, on Saturdays right here on American Variety Network. So that's very awesome. Now, as a beginner to the saltwater world, I want to learn as much as I can from people with experience. And all those of you who are beginners to the saltwater world, I want you to learn as much as you can about the saltwater hobby as well. So that's why the American Variety Network now has two saltwater series. We've got the Saltwater Aquarium Hour with Salty J on Tuesdays, and today we're debuting Saltwater Lecture with Seth on Saturdays. So I'm your beginner host, Alice Cardinelli, who is going to be asking all the questions. And let me welcome the co-host, Mr. Seth Vidrine, who is going to be answering all of my questions and sharing his saltwater knowledge with all of you. Seth, how are you doing tonight, sir? And I'm very glad to have you here on our show. Oh, I'm I'm glad to be here too. Ready to talk uh, some salt water with y'all. Awesome. So it's an honor to work with you, and I know that I'm going to learn a bunch from you. So I'm glad you actually offered to be a co-host. I'm very happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here as well. Uh, it'll take me a little bit to uh, get used to this uh, format, but uh, I'm I'm ready to share as much information as I can with y'all. Uh, awesome. I apologize for, for my uh, scratchy voice uh, coming down with something, but I'll try to, to uh, you know, keep it short and and uh, everything. So. Hope you feel better. I have a cold, too, so I know it's that time of year again, but hope you feel better. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. So, uh, how long have you been in the tropical fish keeping hobby, and how did you get involved? Well, uh, let me see. Freshwater, uh, I've been in for 18 years, off and on. 
and uh, salt water uh, roughly since 2005, so about 10 years. I uh, used to own a fish store uh, in my hometown in Louisiana, and uh, recession hit 2008, so I had to go ahead and get out. And, uh, you know, it's it's been really really blessed ever since. but uh, as far as experience goes, I've written uh, plenty of articles on saltwaterfish.com. Uh, I've written uh, halfway through a book now. Hope to get published pretty soon. So, um, And uh, I have a uh, degree uh, in biology, natural sciences, from uh, University of Louisiana at Monroe. So that's as, as far as my uh, achievements go. Awesome. Sounds like you have a lot of knowledge on the saltwater world, so that's going to be great for beginners. So, uh, what made you what made you go saltwater? Oh, you know, I was at a friend's house one day, and uh, my friend he had a uh, uh, ninety gallon saltwater tank set up, and you know, it, it was okay looking. And then I looked over, and I actually saw a refugium. Uh, which is a separate container of water. Uh, you can sit beside or underneath a a, uh, a tank that holds all kinds of algae and little critters and stuff. And inside that little refugium was a tube anemone. And, you know, it, it, it was pretty. It was colorful. It had little purple tentacles with uh, a bright fluorescent green center. Nothing really particularly special, but when they put a little piece of shrimp down and touched one of the tentacles, it uh, it wrapped around it so quick and pulled it in its tube so fast, I, I didn't even know what happened. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that just got my interest in it uh, right off the bat. I started asking questions, and I haven't stopped asking questions ever since, 10 years Oh, that's very good. So that's a, a good way to uh, get involved in the saltwater world. Oh, yeah, it's a, a good way. Uh, I had a friend who, who got me started, and uh, uh, they had, uh, you know, uh, 10 tanks at the time, and I listened to their advice, and then uh, the more I listened to it, the more I knew I was making mistakes. So I went to my live fish store, started asking questions around there, and then, uh, you know, after trial and error, I finally came up with my own ways of doing stuff. Uh, Of course, you know, online and forums and stuff like that, that can be a really good source of information as well. But um, as far as beginner knowledge is concerned, uh, you know, I'm here to help out on the radio right now. Awesome. Sounds very good. So tonight... Seth is going to provide our listeners with a complete beginner's guide to saltwater. So if you are going to be someone entering the saltwater world for the first time, this show is going to be for you. Now, this show is being broadcast live, like all our shows here on the American Variety Network. So should you have any questions, please feel free to grab your smartphone or your home phone and dial one 989 and you can ask any questions on saltwater. Again, that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. Awesome. So we're gonna start our saltwater 
lecture hour right after our short introduction plugs. The fun begins right after this fish keeper, so don't go anywhere. You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network where I find the show is very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? 
Well, prove it by calling in live at 1-347-989-8142 to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial 1-347-989-8142 and go into a quiet location. Again, that's 1-347-989-8142. Now let's get on with the show. Saltwater clownfish, tans, and even corals and live rock. So, fish keepers, sit back, relax, and unwind. Aquarium Talk the podcast is now on the air. Fish keeping listeners, it's Saltwater Saturday. Welcome to Saltwater Lecture Hour here on American Variety Network with your host Seth Vitrine, a former fish store owner and a saltwater enthusiast for over 10 years. Seth will be discussing anything and everything saltwater from setting up your first saltwater aquarium to raising corals and even getting your clownfish to host an anemone. Saltwater enthusiasts, this should be a fun saltwater show. So please give a round of applause and welcome your host of Saltwater Aquarium Lecture, Seth Vidrine and Alex Cardinale. Saltwater Aquarium Lecture is now live. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get our first episode of Saltwater Lecture Hour out of the way. And today we are doing a complete beginner's guide to the saltwater aquarium hobby. So hopefully, I will ask the right questions, and if you have a question that I am not asking or I did not ask yet, please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. So, my first question I have for you, Seth, is this. In your opinion, why should someone join the saltwater world? Oh, wow. Uh, it definitely isn't a budget. <laughs> Uh, it can get expensive, but uh, um, uh, it can be uh, very rewarding. Um, it's more challenging if uh, if you want something more challenging. Um, they're beautiful tanks. Uh, the colors are just simply amazing. Uh, I, I I never got that with uh, tropical freshwater fish. Um, the variety of ocean life that you can actually uh, find uh, either on the beach or uh, tide pools if you live by the coast or, you know, just uh, from your local fish store is just simply amazing. I agree 100% with you. And uh, one of the major reasons I entered the saltwater world was because I was getting kind of bored with the freshwater hobby and I wanted to change. 
So I converted to salt water, and I also converted uh, because of the beauty of some of the fish, and I actually wanted to have a, a clownfish, so I'm very happy to be on the saltwater side. So for all of our freshwater listeners out there who's been on the freshwater side for many years, I think it's time to consider uh, joining the saltwater side. I agree with you, Seth. Oh, absolutely. Now, speaking of uh, salt and freshwater, how does saltwater differ from freshwater? Well, uh, of course, uh, salt water is a little bit more complex. Uh, you had to pay attention to chemistry a little bit. Uh, you had to pay attention to certain water parameters that you wouldn't necessarily in freshwater systems, like uh, your salinity or specific gravity, which is your salt content. Uh, you have to pay attention to uh, pH and alkalinity and, and other things, uh, trace elements. If you're having a uh, reef tank, uh, of course, uh, in saltwater, uh, lighting is especially important, kind of like uh, freshwater uh, planted tanks have specific lights that you need to buy. Saltwater has them, too, uh, and they can get, uh, you know, cheap to expensive uh, these days as LEDs. But uh, the main difference, uh, you know, just add salt, <laughs> Sounds very good. And actually, in terms of cycling and uh, setting up an aquarium, it's almost the same, but cycling is way more important in a saltwater tank. And we'll get, we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. But I think saltwater is actually more fun than a freshwater tank because you get a lot of beautiful invertebrates and fish that you can add. So I prefer saltwater or freshwater now. But uh, for somebody first entering the saltwater world, should they go with a fish only with live rock tank or a reef tank? What would you recommend for somebody's very first saltwater aquarium? Well, uh, the general rule of saltwater is to buy the biggest tank possible that you can because bigger tanks are more stable. Uh, your pH is more stable. Your temperature is more stable over time. Your salinity is more stable. So buy the biggest tank that you can afford and that you can keep up uh, with your monthly budget. Um, as far as for livestock, uh, you know, that that uh, for a beginner, some people go into it full reef. Some people just go into it fish only with uh, live rock or just fish only. Uh, it really just depends on your level of commitment. To the hobby, uh, but really, you know, tank size for beginners is an important subject to touch on. Um, but uh, uh, you know, if you just want a, a saltwater tank to look at and something that might grow with you, uh, a 75 gallon saltwater tank is uh, probably a pretty good beginner size. That way, you can start with your fish, and if you do some research and find out. If uh, your fish are going to be uh, uh, rated for uh, reef tanks, you can do uh, only reef tank fish and then add corals as you go and get more experience. So Sounds good. I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, so for a beginner, you should go with the biggest tank possible, which is a 75-gallon aquarium. And I think oh, it's no. No, I, I didn't say uh, just go with a 75. Uh, some beginners I've seen get into it 
in full force, thousand, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred gallon tanks. <laughs> but really, it's just as big as you can afford right off the bat. And a seventy-five, fifty-five to a seventy-five seems like the best. Uh, I recommend a seventy-five because it has the depth for uh, aquascaping, which is pretty important when it comes to water flow patterns and coral placement and, and landscaping. Uh, you know, with like uh, uh, planted tanks, you have foreground and background plants and, and all that. Well, uh, saltwater aquarium has a, a depth to it, uh, and it, uh, it also has themes to it. So you kind of got to pick your theme. You go on the Internet and you, you find pictures of tanks you like, and uh, some people kind of try to replicate it. Oh, that sounds good. Yes, that must be pretty cool to have a, a thousand-gallon saltwater tank as your first tank. Wish I could afford that. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Absolutely. Awesome. That sounds uh, sounds great. So, what are some things a beginner to saltwater needs to know? Well, uh, besides your tank size and what you're going to put into it, um, those are the two main things. But um, let me see. Uh, your basic equipment, you know, uh, you got to have filtration. Uh, you got to start your cycle. Uh, nitrogen cycle is very important to a saltwater tank. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that right now. We can if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the nitrogen cycle is basically, um, you know, you put live rock in a tank, and that live rock you get from the fish store actually has some dead organisms on it. And uh, those dead organisms break down into ammonia and or you have to add a little piece of raw shrimp to your tank to have a source of ammonia uh, for the bacteria on the live rock to break down. And over time, the bacteria build up and build up and uh, break down that ammonia into nitrite. And then there's another form of bacteria, uh, nitrobacter, nitrosomus bacteria, that actually converts nitrite into nitrate. And uh, the process takes about 30 days, roughly. There's different chemicals and stuff you could buy at the store. There's bottled bacteria. There's, you know, all kinds of stuff that you could buy. But essentially, if you want to do it cheap or free or whatever, just let the bacteria build up on its own over time. It's, it's going to happen regardless. During the nitrogen cycle, you're going to see uh, different forms of algae appear. Uh, like after a week, uh, once nitrite starts going up a little bit, you're going to see the formation of diatoms because diatoms uh, feed off of silicate in the sand. And um, it's a, kind of like a little brown dust all over everything. And then they go away because the silicate is used up. And then you're going to see little green slime algae form on the glass because it's eating up all the nitrate in the system. And then after all of that goes away, you might see, you know, little pieces of uh, halomeda algae or chetomorpha or, you know, whatever is going to pop up on the live rock. But uh, that's, that's basically the nitrogen cycle. It takes about 30 days, and 
and uh, you test your ammonia, test your nitrite, test your nitrate. If uh, ammonia drops to zero, nitrite drops to zero, and then you have some nitrate in your system. Now uh, it's time to add some fish. Uh, you know, some people uh, recommend actually to go speed during the cycle before you add fish. And what that ghost feeding does is it just gives a constant source of ammonia in the tank and builds up enough bacteria in the system to where it can actually handle feeding those fish. So by the time the end of the 30 days, if everything drops to zero except nitrate uh, and it's handling that bio load, then it's ready for fish. Awesome. Sounds good. So uh, what fish are the best to add first? Oh, uh, well, really, uh, your peaceful fish, if you're going to do a reef or something uh, uh, first, I always recommend doing all the peaceful fish and then go progressively uh, more aggressive. So uh, you'd start with, I don't know, uh, gobies, blennies, uh, dartfish, work up to clowns, uh, then basilets. Uh, and you know, just just up from there, uh, there's all kinds of predatory fish that you could get into. But I've never been on that side of the hobby. Um, I know uh, some people uh, that are and love scorps and and lions and stuff, but uh, I've never done that. So I, I mean, I would start with uh, you know, like something like a goby, and then work up from there. Awesome. Sounds good. So how many fish did you add uh, when your tank is cycled? Like one or two? Uh, after the cycle, uh, you know, it depends on the size of the tank. You, you know, you wouldn't put a, a six-inch goby in a two-and-a-half-gallon tank, or you wouldn't put, a, you know, a six-inch chalk bass of lead in a 30-gallon tank. So it really depends on uh, what, what breed of fish. But, like, uh, something like a 29-gallon, um, I would probably do, like, two clownfish to, just to begin with. Awesome. Sounds uh, sounds very good. So now that we talked about cycling an aquarium, let's talk about some of the uh, equipment needed for an aquarium and uh, water parameters for aquarium. So first we'll talk about the salt mix. Now, in your personal preference, what brand of salt mix do you use and which one do you think is the best? Well, um, I am a cheap uh, aquarist. I know a lot of people uh, who buy, you know, stuff like Tropic Mar and and, stuff that's just outrageously expensive. But um, I actually use Instant Ocean, um, and I know about what parameters it mixes up at. so what I do is I, I actually uh, do water changes and then add chemicals to my tank. I add my calcium, my alkalinity, my magnesium to the tank uh, after a water change so that I know everything's going to be on point. Uh, but, yeah, I just use Instant Ocean, regular old Instant Ocean. I agree. So I actually use Instant Ocean as well. Uh, Instant Ocean is the most common salt mix here in in my local fish store, and they actually recommended it. I think it's a, a pretty good salt mix. I use the Ancient Ocean Reef Crystals on my tank. Pretty good bag. Yeah. 
Reef Crystals is a, a good thing. It's still made by Instant Ocean um, uh, for for a reef tank. Uh, reef Crystals is actually pretty good. You don't have to, you know, add your chemicals to it. And near as often anyway, but you still got to test before you add. So. Yeah, surprisingly, the Instant Ocean uh, salt mix isn't that expensive up here. It's like $15 for a 50-gallon bag and I think the most expensive it gets is like fifty dollars. That's for like three hundred gallon bucks. So it ain't that bad price up here in Mass. Yeah, I order from Amazon. You get the two hundred sack mix, gallon sack mix, and uh, it's like fifty dollars, fifty five dollars delivered to your door. <laughs> well, that's a hell of a deal. I should start ordering it online then. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, Amazon Prime can't beat it. You get free shipping with Amazon too, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, you do. Oh, that's very good. I should start uh, getting my saltwater equipment online. So uh, let's talk about my personal favorite equipment in a saltwater tank, and that is the live rock and uh, the live sand. I love the live rock and the live sand. I actually have a combination of uh, base rock and live rock in my aquarium. I've got the Carib Sea live rock, which is a purple rock, that is uh, painted to look like Coralina allergies on it. And I've got the Carib Sea Fuiji pink live sand in my aquarium. And then I've also got a couple of pieces of uh, live rock in there. I'm going to get some more because I'm a big fan of the live rock. I probably have about 30 pounds in my saltwater tank. So uh, would you recommend a beginner to have live rock and uh, live sand? And what are your thoughts on base rock? Oh, there's all different kinds of ways of setting up a tank. Uh, some people go bare bottom, uh, painted painted underneath and and bare bottom. Some people do bonsai style live rock, which is basically two piles of rock or one pile of rock in the center of the tank, filled with corals and fish swim around it. Other people do a rock wall. Uh, you know, if you you like two and three pounds per gallon uh, of rock. Uh, but it, it really, you know, when it comes down to it, it's what you personally like. Um, and as far as being a biological filter, I mean, sand is a good thing. You have to maintain it. Live rock is a good thing, but you have to maintain it. You know, you have to blow it off. Um, the detritus off the rocks, you got to siphon it out. There's live sand. You got to have the right critters to stir the sand. Uh, you know, so so sand beds aren't completely maintenance free. Uh, neither is a bare bottom. Some people have to siphon out little dead spots uh, on the bottom of their tanks. Um, but that's that's all to do with uh, water flow and water patterns. Oh, uh, but uh, what was the question? So uh, what would you recommend for beginners, going with live rock or base rock? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, you know, um, these days it, I haven't really seen a, a major difference between um, having all live rock or having all base rock. Really, it's more like what you can afford. Um, me, I'm a cheap aquarist, so... I prefer at least a 50-50 mix of base rock to live rock. And right now in my hometown, live rock is 2.99 a pound. So, you know, I can do all live rock if I wanted to. Um, 
Live rock as a biological filter really helps on aquarium. It does, uh, uh, if it's porous enough, has uh, anaerobic zones within the live rock that actually break down nitrate into nitrogen gas. So, you know, it it does help uh, as a filtration system. But um, as far as live sand being a filter for a tank, it, it does collect detritus uh, in the sand bed if you don't maintain it. That's why you have the critters and such. But if your sand bed is deep enough, it provides anaerobic areas for bacteria to break down nitrogenous waste. Uh, so, you know, nitrate will basically drop to zero, and then you'll have outgassing and nitrogen gas. Um, and that's why sand acts as a biological filter. Some very, but, uh, good some very good information. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 so go ahead. Yeah. So uh, one of the best things about live sand is you get to actually have uh, sand-sifting gobies like the diamond goby. Oh, absolutely. You have to have, consider what critters you want. Like if you want a, a cucumber, you can't necessarily have a, a bare-bottom tank. Uh, you know, like if you want a blue, blue spot... Um, jawfish you have to have at least a six inch sand bed to host one of those or if you want a garden eel you gotta have 10 inches so really depends on what kind of critters you're going to keep in your tank as to what you might you know the level of live sand that you want to have in it most new aquarists start with about one to one and a half inches of live sand uh on the bottom of the uh, aquarium floor well, that's cool. I, I have about three inches of a uh, sand bed on my aquarium floor. Yeah, three inches is is kind of in between being shallow and deep. It's not exactly deep enough to have a anaerobic zone to break down nitrate, but it's just deep enough to get dirty. <laughs> uh, I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, I could take care of that with like water changes and stuff, right? Oh yeah. Uh as long as you kinda of stir it up or have something to to stir it up, you should be fine. Awesome. Sounds good. So let's talk about perhaps the most important uh area of any aquarium, freshwater and salt water, and that's uh filtration. So let's talk about filtration in depth. So in your opinion, what is the best type of filtration for a saltwater aquarium? Ooh, filtration is <laughs> very complex. Many people do it many different ways. Uh, some people just do straight live rock and live sand in their tanks with lots of flow. It's a minimalistic type of approach. Some people do shallow sand beds with a uh, hang-on-back filter or uh, a sump with a refugium. Some people just rely solely on protein skimmers. So it's a, uh, and then even again, some people just uh, use turf algae scrubbers. So you know, filtration is a very complex subject. But for a beginner uh, who's just setting up and trying to get established in uh, salt water for the first time, either a mechanical hang-on back filter like what I have on my 29-gallon SPS tank uh, is fairly good to start off with. 
And then once you become more advanced, you might want to go into stomps and refugiums. Um, as far as uh, important um, uh, equipment goes, uh, technically a filter isn't actually even needed as long as you have an area that settles out detritus in the system. So some people just have a sump with no filter and actually have it to where particles actually drop out of the water uh, over a certain period of distance and have a cryptic zone with sponges. So, it, like I said, filtration is very complex, but for the novice, uh, a hang-on-back uh, filter and a hang-on-back skimmer, like the eShops skimmer or uh, Reef Octopus brand skimmer is, is a pretty good system to start off with. Awesome. So, in my tank, I actually have the live sand, some live rock, the base rock, and a hang-on-back filter. So, Technically, I can be considered over-filtering my saltwater tank, which is a good thing. <laughs> you can't over-filter a salt tank. I think uh, over-filtering is actually a very, really, really good idea. Like you said, you can't over-filter, though. You're right about that. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, so other important uh, pieces of equipment, you know, you have to have a, a heater because saltwater is tropical. I usually set mine on around 78, 79. I don't usually go over 80, although I've had one of my best aquariums ever run at 84, but it has to be stable within one degree. These days, like like in the past, 10 years ago when I got into it, we had metal halides for just about everything we wanted to keep, and that got the water really hot. And so we had to concentrate on uh, temperature and cooling the water and leaving it on at certain times and not at others and so on and so forth. But with the LED technology that they have these days, uh, temperature is usually not an issue with most new aquarists. Oh. Now, if you have a larger tank like a uh, 55, 75-gallon or so, and you have a lot invested in your system, I actually recommend two smaller heaters at the same time so that uh, if one heater uh, just doesn't cut on for whatever reason, the other heater can pick up the slack until you find out that there is a problem. Uh, you know, if your water, you know, gets too chilly, you know, things can die. And if it gets too hot, you know, the same, so... Uh, temperature is a very important thing to, to keep an eye on in this hobby. Very well said. So the equipment you're going to need basically for your first saltwater tank is a filter, a heater, a hydrometer, live rock, live sand, and uh, an API marine test kit, correct? Well, I would actually also add uh, a powerhead uh, to that list as well. Uh, powerheads essentially push water around the tank. It increases circulation, which actually increases oxygenation in the water. It keeps the detritus stirred up so that it can enter the filter and be filtered out. Uh, it, it keeps, uh, uh, I don't know if, if everyone knows what detritus is, but it's basically dead organic uh, plant matter or uh, fish waste or, you know, whatever could settle down on the live rot, live sand. Uh, you want to keep all that detritus suspended in the system 
uh, so that your filter can, you know, filter it out. But uh, power heads are very important uh, because of oxygenation. You do not want to put tops on a uh, saltwater tank. It will lower your pH and cause havoc. Oh, nice. So in a saltwater aquarium, uh, a cover is not really required then. No, it's not. However, there are a ton of fish that like to jump. Um, so you actually you need a top, but you don't need something like plastic or glass. Now, what we use in the uh, aquarium trade is called egg crate. You can find it at your local Home Depot. Uh, it's in the lighting section. It's basically a plastic grid that you can take side cutters and cut to the size of the top of your tank. And it's paintable and, and everything. So it works out really nice. We actually use it quite a bit, uh, building sumps and doing different DIY projects. So look it up, Egg Crate. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. So I'll have to go pick up some Egg Crate. And uh, the cool thing about the saltwater hobby is actually a lot of the light systems there, you can actually hang them above your fish tank, which is pretty cool. So you don't have to worry water getting on them. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me see. Ten years ago, like I said, we uh, we had metal halides for just about everything. We had VHOs, T5s were just getting started. Uh, CFLs uh, were <laughs> uh, a thing that a lot of uh, local aquarists did. I don't know if you know if, what CFLs are. Uh, those big bulky tubes, <laughs> uh, but then you know over time as as LEDs became went down from you know twenty four hundred dollars for a AI unit to you know six hundred or so more people have been going to LEDs, uh, especially now that uh, they're getting uh, these Chinese black box LEDs. Uh, the the market has really opened up and and uh, allowed more aquariums to convert to LEDs. Awesome. Very, very good. So let's say the beginner has all their equipment ready, and it's time to set up the aquarium and add the water and sand and such. How should a beginner actually set up their aquarium? Should they uh, just go ahead and add their water and add the salt, or should they add the live rock and live sand and add the, their pre-mixed salt water? Well, first of all, you have to pick a place to put it. Uh, I wouldn't put it in front of a window. You could have too many algae issues. Uh, I wouldn't uh, put it next to a heater vent or a, a air vent or a, a wood stove, uh, anywhere where there's going to be major temperature fluctuations. Uh, I put it in a nice corner spot with very indirect light or no light at all. Um then uh, once I have the spot that it's going to go into, uh, I typically either have pre-mixed salt water on hand or I go ahead and, and add my uh, RODI water to the tank and mix up the salt in the tank itself using powerhead pump or whatever I have. Um, and then when you have enough uh, salt water mixed up and you've checked your salinity, or specific gravity with a hydrometer, and, and I really recommend using a refractometer for better results. 
should be around 1.022 to 1.024 for a reef tank. Oh, once you got your salt mixed up, uh, I recommend putting base rock down first on the uh, aquarium's glass and have at least three points touching all the way around so it's stable. And then once you have base rock down on the glass, you can actually add your live sand around it so that your foundation is set and uh, it it won't topple over. Um, a lot of people have problems with fish digging in under rocks and such, and, and if you actually go ahead and put down your foundation first, well, then nothing will settle and nothing will fall. Um, so have your, your water mixed up first, and then add your base rock, and then add your live rock, on to, uh, live sand, and then add your live rock on top of that. And usually after everything settles, it takes about 24 to 48 hours, usually people go ahead and uh, and uh, change up their live rock to whatever uh, aquascape they want. Then it's just a matter of time to let that cycle go. Awesome, a great answer. Now this is where it gets kind of... Uh controversial because I've seen numerous answers to this and I know the the correct answer now but a beginner might not know the answer so the question is can tap water be used in salt water and if not why can't you use tap water and uh, what water would you recommend for a salt water aquarium well believe it or not water is a very complex subject um, some places in the United States actually require uh, their water treatment systems to use chlorine and chloramine or different types of chloramine. There's monochloramine, dichloramine, and so on. I'm sure your freshwater listeners uh, know all about that. Uh, so it, the salt mixes themselves actually will remove the chlorine chloramine uh, in them, especially instant ocean that's already built into the salt mix. So technically you could use tap water except for the fact that uh, a lot of places like uh, my local water has uh, very horrible, dirty brown water that I would never even consider drinking, let alone putting in my saltwater tank. So uh, the TDS, which is Total Dissolved Solids, if you get a RO unit, that TDS thing is going to be very important to you. Uh, you want to use RO water that has zero TDS or zero PPM uh, TDS um, because it contains no solid material in it. It's non-conductive. Um, that's how it's uh, tested. So, so actually some counties uh, across the United States actually have uh, two to four, maybe ten TDS in uh, their tap water, which is extremely clean. Like some places in Florida have zero TDS tap water, which I, I think is completely amazing because here in my hometown, my t TDS reading is around uh, uh, 500 to 1,500, depending on how bad of a day they're having at the water treatment plant. Uh, but uh, why you don't want... To use tap water, you don't want to use tap water unless you know what's in it. Uh, 
and it's better to be safe than sorry in the saltwater hobby. So if you don't know what's in it, use RO water, use distilled water uh, until you know what's in your tap water for sure. And that TDS reading uh, could be anything from sediment to fluoride to nitrate and phosphate. Nitrate and phosphate are two of the things that make algae uh, bloom in a saltwater tank. So you don't want to just add fuel to the fire if you're having an algae problem. Am I Very well. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I was just asking if I was rambling. Oh no, you're you're doing a a fantastic job. So if you were to use uh, invert, you recommend using RLDI water, right? Or keep invert, you recommend using RLDI water. Well, uh, of course I do. I, I recommend uh, RODI. I have a 10-stage RODI unit myself. Uh, I have to because my uh, RODI is so bad. I mean, my uh, my tap water is so bad. Uh, but, you know, an RODI unit can actually also, you know, remove heavy metals like lead and copper, too, so... Uh, yeah, if if you're using uh, tap water and it has any amount of copper in it, then it could kill your inverts if you're not careful. Awesome. So I'm definitely getting an RLDI unit. I'm actually buying one from a, a fish keeper in my area, a six-stage one for $50, which is a good deal. That's a steal. Yeah, I can't wait to get it. Okay, so uh, one last thing we'll talk about before our, our quick commercial break. Now, the proper salinity for a fish only with live rock tank and a reef tank is 1.21 to 1.24, right? Uh, it really depends on what you're keeping. Um, you know, if if you're doing uh, uh, any type of treatment, uh, hyposalinity treatment, it could be a lot less uh if you want to do just fish only, some people will go as far as 1.020 uh, specific gravity. Um, there, there's a difference in the measurement between salinity and specific gravity. It's technical, but it's a non-issue for a lot of people. People say, what's your salinity? And then they say, oh, it's 1.024, when that's not actually what they asked. It's more more like, oh, it's 30 ppm. <laughs> But anyways, uh, fish only, 1.020 specific gravity to, I don't know, 1.022 or so. Uh, reef tanks can go as high as from 1.024 to 1.026, uh, even up to 1.028. Uh, it depends on where your uh, critters came from in the world. So if your salinity is kind of high, you can uh, lower it by adding just regular tap RODI water, right? Well, you don't want to add tap water. Uh, you would add uh, RODI water or distilled water uh, to make your salinity lower. Um, and in contrast, if your salinity is uh, too low in your reef tank, well, then you want to top off with salt water until it reaches a certain salinity. Awesome. And a very good catch on my uh, tap RODI thing. I meant RODI water, not tap water. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 
So this is actually a, a good start to the show. So much uh, great information was all, already given out on a great show. So you're doing a great job so far. Thank you. Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and take our quick commercial break. And coming up next after our commercial break, we're going to talk about the best thing any beginner should know about cycling, a saltwater aquarium, and some other great information a beginner at Saltwater should know. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to hear our first song for the tonight. And the song we're going to play tonight is from Justin Timberlake, and it is called Crimea River. And then we're going to hear our infomercials, and we'll be right back with more. So don't go anywhere. Our fun saltwater discussion continues right after our quick infomercial. Is done, so I hit the 
Would you like to find out when the next episode of the American Variety Network is? Do you want to find out the news and updates for the American Variety Network? Well, all you have to do is go on your computer and log on to the social media sites. The American Variety Network is now on Facebook and Twitter. That's right, you can find the American Variety Network on Facebook and Twitter. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network One. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like and our fan page on Twitter is at American Network One and hit follow.
Are you enjoying tonight's episode of the American Variety Network? Great! The American Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is AmericanVarietyNetwork at Comcast.net. That's AmericanVarietyNetwork at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns you may have about our show. You can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network, or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. While you're here listening to this show on Blog Talk Radio, feel free to check out some of the other great shows Blog Talk Radio has to offer. There are shows for everyone, whether it be sports shows, politics shows, comedy shows, talk shows, and yes, even church religious shows. Become a loyal listener of Blog Talk Radio. Today, blogtalkradio.com. Happy Halloween from Alex Cardinali and all of us here at the American Variety Network. We hope that your month is full of tricks and treats as well as plenty of scariness. Don't forget to enjoy some delicious candy this Halloween season. The American Variety Network suggests Reese's, Kit Kat, Snickers, and some Oreos for delicious Halloween treats. Make sure you have your candy ready for trick or treating. Happy Halloween! Halloween Tricks, the American Variety Network, live on Saturday, October 31st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific. October 31st just happens to be Halloween. On a special Halloween night, the American Variety Network will celebrate Halloween with plenty of tricks and treats, scary Halloween stories, Halloween music, and candy discussion. So ghosts, goblins, and zombies come out of your trial and tune into the American Variety Network for a special Halloween 2015 fun show. Join us Halloween night 9pm Eastern at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network. Happy Halloween. You're listening to the American Variety Network. Your only place for variety on Blog Talk Radio. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? 
Well, prove it by calling in live at 1-347-989-8142 to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial 1-347-989-8142 and go into a quiet location. Again, that's 1-347-989-8142. Now let's get on with the show. Keeping listeners, it's Saltwater Saturday. Welcome to Saltwater Lecture Hour here on American Variety Network with your host Seth Vitrine, a former fish store owner and a saltwater enthusiast for over 10 years. Seth will be discussing anything and everything saltwater from setting up your first saltwater aquarium to raising corals and even getting your clownfish to host an anemone. Saltwater enthusiasts, this should be a fun saltwater show. So please give a round of applause and welcome your host of Saltwater Aquarium Lecture, Seth Vidrine and Alex Cardinale. Saltwater Aquarium Lecture is now live. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Saltwater Lecture Hour right here on the American Variety Network. And tonight we have our very first episode of Saltwater Lecture Hour, and we're doing a introduction to the beginners who are entering the saltwater aquarium world. And before our commercial break, we talked about all the important stuff that you need to know as a beginner entering into the saltwater world, like the nitrogen cycle and all the equipment you're going to need. And we're going to finish up our discussion on uh, things beginners need to know for the saltwater world. But like I said earlier, if you're listening live and you have any questions, please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. All right, so I want to touch base again a little bit more on the nitrogen cycle because it really is important. But first, let's talk about the aquarium being set up and it's already filled with water. So let's say the tank is filled with water, the rock, and live sand. What should the beginner do next? Also, what is the added benefit of using live rock and live sand? Uh, well, live rock and live sand uh, act as biological filters. They have uh, tons of bacteria on them, all different varieties which do different things. Uh, some are aerobic. Uh, like, uh, uh, you know, nitrosomas bacteria, and there are some anaerobic um, that break down nitrogen into nitrogen. Um, but uh, the live rock and live sand serve as a large uh, biological filter, uh, basically uh, converts nitrate into nitri- nitrogen gas, and it outgasses into the atmosphere. Same things it does in the ocean. Awesome. Some uh, very good information. Now, I know we touched base on the nitrogen cycle in the beginning of the show, but I want to touch base a little bit more on it because it's a really, really good thing for beginners to know. So my question is this. How does the nitrogen cycle differ in salt water than it does in fresh water? 
Uh, the freshwater nitrogen cycle usually lasts about three days uh, on average, unless, you know, you pull stuff out of a pond, then you already have the microfauna and all the bacteria there. Uh, if you're just setting it up from scratch, you know, it usually takes about three days, roughly, for ammonia to uh, drop to zero. Um, it's not as big of a deal as it is in saltwater. I should say uh, salt water takes a little bit longer because the uh, live rock that you put in your tank actually has a lot of decaying matter on it, which will cause uh, your ammonia to spike. Uh, when ammonia gets above about 1 ppm, you ought to do a uh, water change on it to keep the live things on your live rock alive, all the stuff that you have paid for on your live rock. If you don't keep it below 1 ppm, uh, you'll start to see a massive die-off, and then ammonia will shoot up again. So it's very important to keep your ammonia down during the cycle. Um, that can be done through water changes or an emergency detoxifier like uh, something like Prime, Seachem Prime. Uh, the nitrogen cycle in a saltwater tank lasts about 30 days uh, on average, uh, although some people have reported uh, between one week to two weeks. Uh, they must have gotten live rock that didn't have a lot of biological matter on it uh, to break down. It just really depends on your tank's personality. But uh, what the most important thing that you can do during the cycle is uh, go feed every day for the amount of fish that you're going to initially put into it. Like uh, if you're going to put clown fit, two clownfish in it, feed... Uh, every day for two clownfish, basically. And uh, and then uh, about once a week, you're going to test the water with an aquarium, uh, saltwater aquarium test kit for ammonia, nitrite, and nitrate. You know, keep a little chart. I have a little uh, journal entry chart thing that I keep up with for all my water parameters. Uh, you're not going to keep up with ammonia and nitrite once your initial cycle is over unless you're having major issues or feeding too much or, you know, something's completely out of whack. Um, at the end of it, when it could be two weeks uh, after ghost feeding and everything's settled down, ammonia zero, nitrite zero, nitrate shows up. Uh, it could be 30 days. You just, you, you never really know. It, it kind of depends on your tank's personality. Oh, but it's very important to get ammonia and nitrate, I mean nitrite, uh, down to zero before you add fish, or or even invertebrates. Very good. And uh, invertebrates are actually much more uh, sensitive to water conditions than fish are, right? Yeah, uh, invertebrates, their uh, osmotic pressures are a little different than uh, saltwater fish. Uh, they don't adjust to salinity and temperature very well, so you kind of got to have things, uh, you know, pretty pretty stable with inverts. Uh, usually, you do a drip acclimation uh, because the 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 when you go from a low salinity to a high salinity and you resink. Most uh, live fish stores they actually have a low salinity. That's one of the ways that they keep their costs down. So uh, their tank, their fish tanks are going to have like 1.020 or, or so, or even lower than that, 
018 or something like that so that they can keep costing the salt down, uh, save a little bit of money. So when you get them home and your your reef tank is at 1.026, you're going to want to uh, uh, try to balance out the osmotic shock uh, as much as you can, which is a drip, drip acclimation or a poke a hole in a bag, whatever method that you choose uh, for an invert. Uh, reef uh, uh, fish, I wouldn't do the poke a hole in a bag method uh, because some uh, fish stores actually copper dose their uh, their tanks, and you don't want any sort of copper medications getting in any of your tanks unless you know it's, it's specifically a quarantine or a hospital tank that you have at home, other than your display tank. Awesome. Some very good information. So let's get back to the nitrogen cycle, nitrogen cycle really quickly. Now, I know sure. that there are some uh, products on the market out there. So what are your <laughs> thoughts on products such as Microbactum Severin or products that so-called speed up a cycle in a saltwater aquarium? Oh, there's, a, I don't know, Seachem Stability, Microbactum 7, there's a all kinds of bottled bacteria and stuff that you could add to your tank to increase stability or cycle your tank. I, I, you know, it, it's almost like snake oil. Um, I've never put uh, any of those products underneath a microscope and, and you know, actually seen the bacteria or seen this alive. So, I, I mean, I really can't tell. Uh, if a powdered flake bacteria is, is actually helping the system or if the tank is just naturally cycling by itself. Uh, if you, you know, if you want to buy the product, test it out, you know, see for yourself, that's fine. That's that's uh, what it's all about. This, this hobby is full of experimentation. But, you know, uh, you get what you pay for if you're going to pay for something like that. Get the best, you know. Don't don't skimp. Uh, as far as uh, dosing your tank, trying to keep ammonia down, I, I wouldn't necessarily dose a product like CKM, uh Prime or or anything like that to keep ammonia down during the cycle, because uh, uh, you don't want to be doing water changes to try to get all that out of your system before adding a fish. Uh, so, you know, a water change to keep ammonia down uh, uh, or nitride down, whatever you need to do during the cycle. Uh, but but your initial cycle will be anywhere from two weeks to uh, four weeks or 30 days. Um, there's not really a whole lot that you can, can do to shorten that period. Uh, and I definitely do recommend ghost feeding the tank for your first initial fish. Uh, that will guarantee that the tank has enough bacteria in it to break down your ammonia and nitrate uh, so that you don't kill your first two fish before after they get in the system. Awesome information. Now, I know one of the oldest ways that people cycled a saltwater aquarium back in the old days was they actually would add a damsel to the aquarium. So, do you think people should cycle an aquarium with a damsel or go with the fish list cycling? Well, uh, as a responsible and ethical aquarist, uh, especially these days when we know better, 
I would say that you need to do a fishless cycle. There's there's absolutely no research to suggest that adding a fish before the cycle is done will actually uh, decrease the waiting time. I mean, uh, you know, why why risk a fish's life if you can you know actually do it without killing potentially killing a fish? But uh. Or or even adding a damsel to the tank. Damsels are mean and they are tough to get out. So if if you put one in there, you can expect to leave it in there if it survives. Uh, and, and especially as horrible when you got the perfect aquascape. Everything's beautiful, and then you just have to rip apart your tank to get that one little bitty damsel fish out. <laughs> so I definitely recommend a fishless cycle. To, to avoid all that heartache from tearing down your tank, trying to get that one little fish. Awesome. I definitely agree with you. I think the fish with cycle is perhaps the best option to do in uh, 2015. And I just thought I'd ask you that question because one of our live listeners in the chat room was wondering because he said when he first entered the saltwater hobby in 2004, he was told to use a damsel. So I see things have changed over the last 10 years oh yeah things have certainly changed um i uh i was recommended to put a whole piece of shrimp on day one in, in my tank and just let it rot and whatever day the cycle got done it, it was done you know but uh these days there's there's more proof that uh ghost feeding over time and moderate monitoring your ammonia and nitrite or uh, some of the best ways just to do that initial cycle. Uh, there are quick ways to do uh, cycles, especially if you have already established live rock. If live rock doesn't have anything dead on it, if your sand is clean, if you want to avoid a cycle, then you can add, you know, the, that bottle bacteria again, Microbacter 7. That's how they always do it at the uh, uh, MACNA conferences when they set up all those big tanks like that in just two or three days, uh, they'll, they'll do, uh, as much as they can to limit the, uh, the amount of ammonia that gets stirred up. So that's, uh, awesome information. I know that you're very, very knowledgeable in corals. And I know that a lot of people, when they first enter the saltwater world, they want to get corals. So, in your opinion, are corals for beginners, or should they wait a while until they get experience before they start uh, messing around with corals? Well, uh, the way I see it, uh, after you stop killing fish, (laughs) which (laughs) we all do uh, when we start, uh, we'll kill a fish or two and not know it any better. We'll overfeed and, and, you know, stir up ammonia or do whatever you know, or, or don't even acclimate them correctly. Well, well once you uh, stop killing fish and you kind of get a handle for it, you know, maybe three to six months uh, later, you might be thinking, well, hey, you know, this has gotten easy and I haven't killed fish lately, so let's uh, try coral. And, uh, you know, uh, then maybe it might be a, a time to start. And one of the easiest uh types of corals to get started with is soft corals like uh, coralomorphs, which is uh, mushrooms, or zinnia, or uh, zoanthids, or 
or uh, Protopaleothoa, uh, which are all great corals, soft corals to start with. They don't use calcium and alkalinity near as much as other corals. Um, they're quick growing. They don't need a whole lot of light or specialty light. Um, you know, I, when I just got started, I used CFLs, which is, you know, <laughs> as, as uh, cheap as you could possibly get during that day. I even used T12s at one point and VHOs. Um, but, uh, yeah, soft corals are, are great starter corals. And for the most part, they're cheap unless you get into more uh, expensive species and all kind, different kinds of names, uh, purple people eaters and all this. And when I, when I really look at a tank, I look at color and say, ooh, those are purple, those are green, those are yellow, ooh, pretty. You know, I, I don't really pay attention to the the marketing names anymore. But, uh, anyways. Awesome. So is there anything else you'd like to add for our show that uh, beginners should know about saltwater? Um, let me see. Uh, to everybody's opinion right off the bat, do your own research. Uh, figure out your own tank's personality. You know, sometimes your tank won't like a specific coral. It won't like your lighting. It won't like your fish. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, you kind of got to experiment with it and figure out what works best for you or what combination of equipment works best for you. You know, keep in mind that everybody has their own specific techniques that they do, like uh, mixing salt water uh, or doing water changes. Uh, I either do, uh, speaking of water changes, I do like uh, either 30% once a month and I stir up all the detritus that I can and, and suck it all out as much as I can and or excuse me, I do uh, one gallon a day in a 29-gallon tank, and then that, that automatically replenishes all the trace elements and everything uh, and completely, you know, changes out all the water in 30 days or 29 days. So uh, you just kind of got to get used to your tank and, and what feels right uh, over a specific period of time. Uh, keep a journal uh, start it as soon as you can. When you set it up, uh, you might want to look back and say, hey, I started this aquarium on this date. These were the parameters. Uh, uh, you start that journal and you, you write down observations about your tank. Like, oh, well, these zoas died. <laughs> or or uh, this fish jumped out. Maybe I need a, a, uh, a lid on it or something. I, I don't know. But just keep a record of what you've tried, and and you know that that kind of information you can keep on hand for for future use, or to be able to relay that information to to other aquarists over time. What you have learned, um, of course, keep a, a an eye on your parameters. I know you don't like to hear it if you're coming from fresh water over to salt water. You don't like to hear, well, you have to test this, you have to test that. But in salt water, knowing your parameters is very important. Knowing where your nitrate is, knowing where your phosphate is. If you have reef tanks, 
with corals or whatever. You need to know where your calcium, alkalinity, and pH is. Uh, you need to know your magnesium. You, you, you really need an accurate test kit, and uh, don't skimp on it uh, when you're looking for one. Me, personally, I run a, an SPS-dominated 29-gallon tank with only a hang-on-back filter. So I test uh, every other day when I'm doing a water change, um, my calcium, alkalinity, and uh, top off a little magnesium. But uh, testing is very important. Uh, stability above everything is important in a, in a saltwater tank. Temperature, salinity, uh, the more stable your system is, regardless of its size, it can be, you know, 75 gallons or 1,000 gallons. If it's not stable, then your uh, inhabitants won't be happy with you. So if if you have a 2.5-gallon Tyco tank, it can be absolutely stable with the best equipment in the world, and it will thrive. But if you don't, you know, maintain it and you don't know where your parameters are, and it's not stable, well, then you know it doesn't it doesn't have that homeostasis, which uh, kind of reminds me of how uh, important it is to uh, uh, test and and to know where everything is. Awesome! Some very good information. And the last question I have for you is: What exactly are you experiencing in the saltwater world? Oh, what do you mean by that? What is what is what, what your knowledge is in the saltwater world? What do you know the most about? Well, um, I I didn't get into saltwater because of the fish. I got into saltwater because of the equipment and the complexity of the systems. I got interested in it because of the invertebrates and the corals, the the beauty of the system working as a whole together, and I uh, I just. Mm, uh, that's just about it. Um, my experience goes from anything from equipment and filtration to uh, chemistry and 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 uh, corals. So that's that's my main focus is in the hobby, uh, other than reading and writing and 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 writing articles and such for various uh, forums on the internet. Awesome. Sounds great. And uh, you did a fantastic job on tonight's show, Seth. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. And I think uh, next our next show, we should talk about corals. What do you think about that? Oh, I can't wait uh, to talk about corals and what's required and all the equipment that's uh, possible and, and uh, all the different types of corals that we can uh, put in our tanks and different biomes. Uh, I think uh, y'all are going to really like uh, the discussion. Awesome. Sounds great. So I can't wait to learn about corals, and hopefully you can convince me with something next year or two to actually get a coral. Oh, yeah. I'll help you with your uh, selection. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for tuning in to tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you'll tune into all of our saltwater lecture hour episodes here on the american variety network i hope you guys have a great rest of your saturday night and a great rest of your day whatever day it may be is that you found today's show 
So, Seth, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I hope you feel better. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I have a bit of a cold right now, so I'm not feeling myself. <clears throat> and I hope your uh, your fish and corals do fine. I hope they they look beautiful. I saw them on your Facebook earlier. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> They're doing well. I got some acropora in there. I'm trying to to uh, encrust on the the plugs and trying to find some uh, different uh, uh, monopora and sierratopora and stuff. Uh, online tonight. <laughs> the the addiction never ends. It never does. <laughs> awesome. Okay, uh, fish keeping listeners, make sure you check out our fan page on Facebook called Aquarium Talk to Podcast. Make sure you click like on that page. We really would appreciate your like. That's going to do it for us tonight. Seth and I thank you so much for tuning into our show, and make sure you check out all of our saltwater series coming up here on the American Variety Network. Good night, Seth. No, good night, Alex. Okay, and uh, thank you so much, listeners, for tuning into this wonderful show. Future saltwater fish keepers, Seth and I thank you for tuning into tonight's episode of Saltwater Lecture Hour. We sincerely hope you learned a lot about the saltwater hobby. We hope you will join the saltwater hobby. Remember, enjoy the fish hobby, love your fish, and your fish will love you. Rock your saltwater tank. Good night, everyone.
Yeah, that's all, folks. 